This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So we're currently in a period of high inflation, but how have the prices of specific items increased during the past decade or maybe even the past 50 years? Has anything gotten cheaper? We'll look into the prices of homes, college, electronics, and more on the show today. And as always, you can ask personal finance questions of our experts. So contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Nancy. What uh, financial news uh, would you like to share today? In my house, the letters SEC usually mean sports. And certainly over the weekend, it was all a buzz about uh, Tennessee knocking off Alabama. And as a big Mississippi fan, I had to grin a little bit at that. But in our business, in finance, SEC is the regulatory body for the public market, for securities markets. And um, there have been two high-profile cases uh, in the news lately. And I want to just explain to people that the SEC's job is not to keep you from losing money. Um, It is to make sure that the markets are fair and that disclosure is given to everybody so investors can make informed choices. So um, Elon Musk is in a bit of hot water with the SEC. He settled with them on some tweets, and now he's dealing with them on the Twitter case right now. And um, so he has been doing some things that have actually been moving the market in those stocks. And so that's been the complaint against him. And we also have a problem with uh, disclosure. And so we have a whistleblower on Trump's social media, which is, comes from the SPAC, the Special Purpose Acquisition Vehicle, that was used. And the claim is that they didn't tell investors everything, and that's a real problem for the SEC. So, again, the SEC regulates public markets. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to make money or not lose money. It doesn't protect you against that. It protects you against fraud and protects you against anybody who's dabbling in moving markets along the way. So what uh, what tweets got uh, Elon Musk in hot water? Oh, there were several. He was tweeting out information about Tesla at first, and then, of course, he's tweeting about whether he's going to buy Twitter or not. And you could see with those tweets the movement in the stock price. Anybody – and, of course, back to Tesla, he was basically pushed to the sideline because of that activity. Because if you are a director or executive in a company, there are rules about what you can say and when you can say it about your company. Again, it's all about making it fair and a level playing field, and everybody knows the same thing at the same time. Uh, This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're going to be talking about inflation and the cost of things today, but we've got an early caller on the line. So let's say good morning to Chris, who calls us from Brandon. Good morning, Chris. You're on the air with us. Um, I was wondering, on I-I bonds, which is, I guess, the the next um, indication on how they're going to be doing coming up soon, if 
you have an either or um, to either contribute to your IRA for this year, given where the market is now, versus investing in II bonds, which would you do and why? Oh, okay. So with the I bond, you have to have an account at Treasury Direct. And I don't think you can have an IRA account. I'll have to check on that to be sure. So um, if you can have an IRA account, then the I bond could be within the IRA account. But again, I'm not sure that they will allow you to do that. So that means that um, the IRA probably is your best choice to contribute to that. And you can purchase things within the IRA account because what you're talking about is really trying to compare apples to oranges. An I-bond is, is basically a security, or a security and um, an IRA is an account registration. And so that's where I'm having a little difficulty coming up with a definite answer for you. But we're going to check on whether Treasury Direct will allow you to have an IRA account there. Yeah. Hey, Chris. So I don't believe that you can have an IRA registration at Treasury Direct. They're just individual accounts. You can actually have corporate or trust accounts, but you can't have the same tax advantages of an IRA. So part of it, you have to think about kind of what do you want out of this money? Because the, the, the decision to invest is more about what you need than kind of what is happening out there in the market. If this is money that you want to get the current I-bond yield of nine something percent, if that's actually four and a half percent because it's a six month yield. They just quote it in an annualized term. Uh, and you believe that inflation is going to remain high for the next few years because, again, keep in mind that an I-bond, you're locking your money up for five years. So if you got this six-month yield of 4% and then it failed to stay high, so maybe we went back to kind of the normal 1% to 2% inflation uh, soon thereafter, then you might have been better off just even putting it in a CD somewhere because you can get about 4% on a five-year CD. You can maintain that 4%, uh, which you could do within the wrapper of an IRA uh, or a Roth IRA. Uh, also keep in mind, if this is longer-term money, you may not want it locked up in something that's just strictly going to match inflation, and you may benefit to in today from the tax benefits, or if you're putting in a Roth IRA, you may benefit in the future from the tax benefits. So again, kind of like Nancy said, one is an account, one is an actual investment, and it kind of depends on what you want to do uh, with the, with those and what your current situation is. Uh, but the, you have to weigh, of course, the tax benefits uh, of the IRA and just kind of what your view on inflation is, or or if there is a specific risk you have, you are trying to protect yourself from with the I bond. One clarification on the I bonds: um, even though the goal would be for five years, um, you really just have to hold it for one year to get that advantage. And you know, if we look out one year, we're probably going to see elevated inflation for a period of time. If you cash out before the five years, you just give up three months' worth of interest. So I think as long as you can look out over a year and say, yeah, it's probably going to pay higher rates than I normally would get otherwise because of higher inflation, then that might be an opportunity for you. 
All right, uh, Chris, we appreciate your call this morning. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Uh, Ryder Taft joins us as well, as he does each week. Ryder, what financial news do you have on your mind this morning? So one of the things, we don't talk about it a lot on this show because we don't often find ourselves kind of in the, these, these market depths or at the market highs where it makes sense to talk about. But market sentiment is a really important thing that we, we kind of always have in the background to think about. Obviously, a lot of our investing, like I said, is done based on what does the investor need. But when you're kind of in the mood to speculate about the market, where's the market going, you have to think the market is made up of all of these individual investors and all these individuals with all of their, all of their money and all of their feelings are all of these things going in. So while we talk a lot about the fundamentals of companies, we talk a lot about economics, we talk a little bit less about fund flows, that's a very important thing, and we talk a little bit less about investor sentiment or market sentiment. And so it's very useful for kind of understanding when we're reaching the top of the market or when we're reaching the bottom of the market. And it's not never to say, oh, the market can't go down any further or can't go up any further. But if everybody is really fearful and upset and scared about the market and they're pulling their money out, at some point, at some point, everyone is afraid and everyone has pulled out. So who is left to sell? And, and the only thing remaining is you know, the day breaking and people starting to warm back up to the market and put that money back in. And so we're looking at some information from Lizanne Saunders, one of Nancy's favorite economists from Charles Schwab. (laughs) She put together a video kind of explaining some sentiment indicators she looks at. And these are very hard to put together, right? Because you're trying to figure out what is everyone's emotion. It's not, it's not just like looking at prices. It's so there are surveys that are done and there's one, it's a fairly accessible one called the uh, CNN does a fear and greed index. And so they say, okay, looking at the momentum of stocks, they look at how people are trading options, they're looking at how people are trading uh, high yield bonds, they're looking at volatility, just kind of the demand for different market products and what that says about how people are feeling. And so we're def- we're absolutely in some of the fear uh, driven market or some of the people are most bearish. And and again, people aren't bearish when they're buying, they're bearish when they are selling, they're selling when they're bearish. So it indicates that the kind of levels of fear and the levels of bearishness in the market are approaching highs. I, I mean, so that means that this may indicate that the this is we are near a market bottom and that could be a short-term market bottom this could be a long-term market bottom doesn't really say a whole lot about that but it's just an interesting way of looking at investor sentiment and so if you want to be a little bit contrarian and say well what is everybody else feeling can i make a profitable investment based on knowing that everybody is feeling that way and thinking well maybe it's going to revert uh the other way so uh what is the buffett saying writer the um, quote? so well i'm not sure if you're referring to this one i'm not sure if it's a buffett quote i, I think i've attributed to um the, the rothschilds which is a little more uh, fun for the conspiracy theorists out there uh but buy when there is blood in the streets and then i recently learned the second part of that is even if the blood is your own 
well, so, he just says, so there's one. Uh, for, uh, that, that's your that's your Halloween quote uh, for the month, <laughs> folks. Halloween. Well, I, I think I think Buffett. It's all about uh, be fearful when others are greedy, and yes. greedy when they're fearful. Yeah. Oh yeah, he put a bunch much more, more gentle spin on it as we would expect. <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> Uh, if you have a question for our experts, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. Today we're talking about the cost of items then versus now. What about hair dryers? How have they changed in price? We'll have that for you next. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Our producer, Liz Gill, found an article called 12 Products, Price, and How Their Prices Have Changed Over the Last 100 Years. A White Cross electric hairdryer cost $10 in 1915. That's $234 in today's dollars. Now the average price of a hairdryer is $25 to $50. I would wonder, though, if the White Cross electric hairdryer was the old-fashioned kind where you had the big dome that you had to sit under uh, oh, to dry your hair uh, versus yeah. the modern handheld one. No, there was an yeah. image on the website, and it, it was a bizarre-looking contraption. It was like an all-metal, but it did have just like a actual blower, but it was very weird-looking. But I think I'm dating myself if I talk about that one that you sit under because that's uh, certainly... Uh, an, an older thing, although I guess maybe in, in beauty parlors they still use them. I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, Kevin, we had the at-home version, which was the basic, like a uh, an elastic oh, yeah. cover you put on your head, <laughs> and then it had a hose that went to yes. the machine. <laughs> We're both dating ourselves on that one, Nancy. <laughs> We're talking about the price of things then and now, uh, but we also have some questions that we want to get to, and we encourage your personal finance questions. So let's invite George into the conversation this morning. George is calling us uh, from Louisiana. George, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hello. I was interested to know, is the interest rate that's paid on an I-bond locked in when you buy it, or is it variable? It, it's, it's reset, reset every, every six months. months. Oh, okay. All right. That's what I thought. Thank you very much. Thanks, George, for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Let's begin our inflation-related discussion with the price of housing. Nancy, go ahead. What are your thoughts on housing prices? Well, certainly if we look back several years, several decades, we're going to see a huge difference in average prices. And uh, right now, the average price of a home is about... $440,000. $440,000. That's a lot. Um, back in the 70s, early 70s, the average price was more like twenty six dollars or $27,000. So think about your 20% down payment in the early 70s. It's going to be about $5,200. Uh, now that 20% down payment is about $88,000. That's huge. You combine that with those increased payments, and you can see that the problem right now that we're facing is affordability. Um, when we talk about inflation, we think about general inflation. And historically, uh, general infl- inflation has averaged about 3%. Housing has averaged 4 to 5% increases in value over the years. And so you can see it outpacing inflation, and certainly over the last few years, 
we've seen it go way through the roof, uh, not to <laughs> use a pun there. But um, that means that if wages are not keeping up with that, and we have seen they have not, that makes it very difficult for a family to afford a house. And for many families, it means that you have to have a two-income household to be able to make those payments. And certainly, when we're seeing interest rates rising on mortgages, and, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago we had people coming in and telling us, oh, I got a rate just below 3%. And now the average rate on a 30-year mortgage is about 7.5%. That makes a huge difference in what a family can afford. So combine that down payment with those monthly payments, and you see it becomes very difficult for families to get into a house. And so what are some of the factors that, that might drive the price of, of houses up? I'm thinking maybe availability, how many houses are available for people to buy, and also with uh, new houses, the, the cost of uh, construction materials maybe. Well, certainly that's what we've seen lately is not only supply and demand, so we haven't had as many houses uh, being built and as many existing houses coming onto the market at the same time that we've had a lot of people suddenly flood in and wanting to buy. Um, construction prices have gone up dramatically. We're starting to see some of that cool down a little bit, and that's going to help matters. But if we really back up several decades, what we see is there's been a push within our government. Our policy has been to encourage home ownership. And some of that policy, which, you know, it sounds like a good thing. We want people to be in a house, you know, have a chicken in every pot and have a house over a uh, roof over your head. Uh, but that policy has also driven prices in the housing market as well. So that's an issue. But right now what we're facing is we just don't have enough houses for people who are coming into the marketplace for new households that are being formed. And that's an issue. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. If you enjoy listening to Money Talks, might I recommend another program heard weekday evenings at 6 on MPB Think Radio, and that is Marketplace. And uh, a, a story on Marketplace kind of gave our producer, Liz Gill, the uh, the germ of the idea for the show that we're talking about today, and that is prices of things then and now. As we discuss the impact inflation has on uh, goods, we're also looking for your personal finance questions. You can always email the show, send it to money at mpbonline.org. Nancy, the next uh, thing that we're going to talk about, I think, has, has changed a lot over the years increased, and that is the cost of college. What are you, our thoughts on that? So here again, when I go back and think about the rise in general inflation, housing has been higher than that, but education inflation is another area that's been higher than general inflation. And what we have seen from 2010 to 2020 is an average increase of 4.63%. And that's before we get into these higher inflationary times that we're experiencing now. And what that means over that 10-year period for a public institution, that increase is 31.4%. Since 1963, of course, that's a long time ago, but since 1963, education has increased 747.8%. That is huge. That Again, we're talking about affordability. Uh, we said the same thing about housing, but now it's become an issue for people who are trying to get an education, trying to better themselves. And certainly we talk on this program about an education being an investment, an investment in future earnings. 
Um, but, you know, in the early 70s, you could get that four-year college degree for $10,000 for the tuition. Um, right now, that's going to cost you more like $25,000 for the, just for the tuition. And that means more people are taking on more debt, and that leads into the conversation that we've had lately about student loan debt forgiveness and should we allow that. A lot of people say, well, I paid my way. Well, you may have paid your way in the 70s or the 80s or even the early 90s when it was a lot cheaper to go to school. And now it's so much more expensive that it's very hard for just regular middle-class families to be able to send children without having to incur some sort of debt along the way. So, Ryder, uh, b- before I ask for your thoughts on, on the, the price of uh, college, d- did I hear this morning that the, um, the student loan forgiveness, uh, that you can now apply for that? Am I correct on that? Yes, uh, I was. I was just thinking about that. That I saw yesterday, the application was available, and it's actually s- super simple. Anyone can go look at the application. It's just uh, appears to be just a one-page form. You fill out your information. You sign an attestation that your income does fall within the guidelines. And I, I know people are thinking, oh, my gosh, that's just way open to abuse. Um, the federal government has access to your income information. So uh, audits will be super simple here. Uh, they can probably just double-check this uh, as you apply. But it's it's very generous. If, you, if your income was less than 125000 in either 2020 or 2021, or your household income was less than 250 in either 2020 or 2021, you are eligible. Uh, of course, we have talked about some of the caveats. There are some loan programs that did not get included in this. This only counts for the federally held loan programs, which again, the Department of Education, the student loans, they, they made a, a really big effort to get everybody to move into these Department of Education held loans. So you do hear some stories about folks who do have those private loans, and it's very unfortunate that they're not getting this, but it's going to be a lot of relief for a lot of people. And we got a couple minutes before our next break. Any thoughts, uh, Ryder, just on this, what we've been talking about here, the general increase in the cost of a college education? Yeah, absolutely. Like Nancy pointed out, this is always one of the highest inflation numbers. There's this great chart that shows various segments of, of things you might purchase, education, healthcare, electronics, food, over the years. And education, healthcare are always at the top. And, and that's because demand for colleges has increased so much in the past decades. More people are attending colleges. There's more degrees being awarded. Uh, of course, also student loans, like we just mentioned, have has contributed to that. It's gotten easier and easier to apply for and get student loans. Also, those student loans uh, eligibility, the, the balance that you're eligible to to take out has grown along with the price of college. So that's that one of my thoughts is that has definitely fed into the cost of college because if the college is, oh, look, they're able to get 10 percent more to buy, you know, pay for this class this year. Well, we're, maybe we can charge 10 percent more and nobody will notice because it's it's loan money. So that has contributed to the cost. Of course, if people didn't have student loans, I mean, many people just wouldn't go to school and that would be a lower demand and uh, that would help uh, tamp down the price. We're discussing the price of things then versus now. What about a washing machine? We'll have that for you next 
Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. In 1925, Maytag sold the Gyrofoam washer, love that name, for $145. In today's dollars, that would be $1,962. But today, a traditional Maytag washer is only $599. So not everything has gone up over the years as we talk about things costing the cost then versus now. Kevin, I bet that 1925 Maytag washer is still somewhere running, don't you think? I think so. Uh, It brings up (laughs) one of my favorite stories when I bought, uh, I think I was replacing a washer uh, years ago, and uh, the guy said, hey, do you want to buy the warranty, you know, the two-year warranty that goes along with that? And I said, well, no, this last washer I, you know, I had lasted pretty much 15 years or so. He says, well, they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> I was no, kind of like, no, <laughs> maybe you just want to return the whole thing then. <laughs> right. It's like, so anyway, let's... Um, We've got a couple of emails on inflation to get to. Uh, and this first one says, just wondering your opinion on how much the tariffs on Chinese and other foreign imports contributed to the current inflation situation. I know the import companies will only absorb the cost so long before passing it along. Nancy, any thoughts on that one? I, I don't know if we can quantify that. I was just um, listening to someone talk about that issue just this morning. And um, I think within the Biden administration, there is a desire to ease up on some of those tariffs. Uh, But politically, they don't want to be seen as being soft on China. They are talking with uh, corporate CEOs to see what would have the best effect there. So they are looking for ways to ease up on that that will help with inflation. We don't know how much of that is is adding to it. But certainly anything that causes things to cost more. Uh, One of the things we've also been watching is the shipping. And so shipping was so much higher during the pandemic and is starting to ease up. And we are hopeful that that transportation cost decline will then be passed on to uh, the final customers. But we have to wait and see. Also, Ryder, there was an emailer asking about the uh, if the national debt has any effect on inflation? So there is some discussion that national debt has an impact on inflation, but it is it slowly trickles in. So the idea is that, of course, spending on when the government needs to pay the bill, when it needs to pay the interest bill, that is a cost, and that's money that is being spent somewhere. And so as interest rates rise, and they've risen, again, dramatically over the past year, it is paying higher interest. Of course, it's only paying higher interest on the new debt that is issuing. So if you think about it, we have treasuries that go from you know, a very short maturity uh, measured in days to 30-year maturity. And, and a lot of it is kind of clustered around that shorter-term stuff because that's just a very high demand. It's used uh, for banks, uh, all sorts of reasons. And so only that newer debt is actually issued at the higher coupon. If interest rates go up, your interest rate doesn't – it doesn't – change the interest cost to you until you have to issue new debt at that rate. You're still paying the same old coupon. So that does trickle in, but it's 
it's going to be a slower, smaller effect. You know, maybe increasing a few percent of that cost every year as long as as long as interest rates stay up. We have a caller on the line, so we're going to invite Karen from Hattiesburg into our discussion this morning. Go ahead, Karen. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I'm just I uh, wanted to comment um, on the conversation about uh, college and, and universities, you know, maybe increasing their prices because a student could get more money, you know, at, from a student loan. I just kind of wanted to respond to that. Um, I've worked in higher education for over 20 years, and, you know, we also looked at the trend of how much federal and state funding the public universities and community colleges get, I would bet, <laughs> guaranteed, that has decreased significantly. And so, you know, in all the areas that I have worked, um, we have tried very hard to keep the cost down for the student. Um, we do not want students to have high student loans because that reflects back on our institution and affects our ability to even be able to offer that financial aid. But the reason for any increase has been lower funding from the state and federal government for the public institutions. And so to make up for that lower funding, the only thing we have is tuition um, besides our local contributions that we have. So I just wanted to put that plug out there. All right, Karen, thanks for your call. Uh, Nancy, uh, some reaction? Yeah. Well, I, I do agree with her that we've seen some decreased funding, especially in Mississippi, of our higher education. And um, I think the whole system needs to be looked at and reformed. Yes, um, policy can have an impact on um, what those costs end up being. And uh, so availability of loans can be an enticement. It doesn't necessarily uh, happen that way. And so I think I'm glad she called and said, look, there's some justification for these increases in tuition. Uh, we're facing higher costs. We have suffered from lower funding, and we have to make up the difference somehow. I think we still come back to an education is a good investment if you choose a good degree that will earn you money in the future, and it's from a solid institution. It is worth it to take it on. Your thoughts, Ryder? Oh, I totally agree. Oh, Okay. In, <laughs> yeah, in I think that's. Realm, I think that's know, a great point. I think that's a great point, Karen, uh, about the where tuition increases have come from. And I didn't mean to imply anything malicious about the way tuition is set. Of course, as decreased federal and state funding. Is, as they have decreased funding on one side, they've got to increase it somewhere on the other side unless just costs magically disappeared, which I don't think they are doing. And so you can really view that federal student loan program as just a way to replace some of that other federal money coming in. So like you said, it's rising on one side while it decreases on the other. I think that it would be more difficult for people to uh, go to college without these student loans. And I think if it's more difficult for people to go to college, if there are fewer people going to colleges, then there would probably be fewer tuition increases. There would be a lot of other problems occurring with universities, declining enrollment. But that would be just on, from the supply-demand 
view, the student loans do make that demand a little bit easier. It makes it a little bit easier for folks to afford those tuition increases as, like you rightfully mentioned, federal and state funding decline. So I, that's, that's an excellent point. All right, Karen, thank you for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're talking about uh, cost of things then versus now. And we got a little bit of good news. The, the Maytag washer uh, is actually cheaper uh, than it was uh, in, in the 1920s. Uh, Ryder, electronics seems like an area where we've seen prices go down. What, what do you have for us on that? Yeah, so electronics are typically one of the things that have gotten cheaper. And, and as well, you can do more with electronics these days. It's like back in the day when you bought, say, some groceries, you were buying, essentially, if you bought a tomato in 1972 and you bought a tomato today, that is pretty directly comparable. But one of the things, if you bought a TV, an RCA TRK-12 TV, cost $600 in 1939. So you can buy a 65-inch LED TV for about 1000 bucks, 1100 bucks. It's that's just a way bigger, better TV. Uh, and as well, in today's dollars, that $600 that you paid in 1939 uh, is now $10,000. So not only have the electronics gotten way, way, way better, like nobody today would tolerate having the same radio, having the same TV, having the same car as they did in 1930. I mean, okay, people do love their classic cars. So I, I take that back. I don't want to get too many angry callers here. We just had crews in the coast. Um, but the, the electronics you can get are just so much better these days, even though as Kevin learned, they just don't make them like they used to. I don't, I don't really know how we account for that. But that is one of the things that needs to be accounted for in the inflation measure. They do make adjustments for how things have improved. Another example, in 2001, the iPod came out, and uh, or it was around then, and you could get a 5-gigabyte iPod for, for $400. Um, now I see... We have listed the iPod Touch. I don't think that's even made anymore, uh, but you can spend a lot more on an iPhone. So it's an iPod that does a few more things and has the base amount of memory in these things is like 120 something gigabytes. You can get you can get 500 gigabytes in these a hundred times the storage space. You can access your music anywhere on the cloud. All of these things just didn't exist in 2001 and yes it's a few more dollars that it definitely even inflation adjusted that may have changed but you can get things that didn't even exist in the electronics world it's one of the very interesting things when you think about inflation i think yeah i mean i think you're right Ryder, because we're getting a, a better products for for less money i mean as you mentioned i i think that we've we've uh, even moved past the ipod to our smartphones but also uh, that rca trk 12 tv i'm I'm, at, I'm guessing 12 is the screen size i'm guessing it has the old where you have to reach over and turn the dial to switch channels mm -hmm. and i'm guessing it was black you and white you didn't even have a remote kevin <laughs> 
and probably rabbit ears to go along with it. So. Yeah, absolutely. And we have so many more channels to watch, right? Yes. And then, of course, we also have subscriptions and uh, all of your subscriptions that you have to pay for. I know Nancy loves talking about what subscription she has bought or canceled or is trying a free trial on. But so in some ways, yes, that's such a much better product it's such a much better experience but also we found clever new ways of charging people for it too so yeah there's there's some wins and some losses along the way and as our producer Liz Gill just pointed out to me MPB is still free in large part thanks to contributions from listeners so we do That's appreciate absolutely that correct. so if you have an RCA TRK12 TV and you would like to sell it and, and or you would like to donate it for MPB to sell then uh, let us know <laughs> There's still so, time. Uh, Kevin, yes. Kevin, should we should we tell Ryder that the first remotes were actually corded? <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. The cord that ran to the TV, so you could only get so far away from them. <laughs> actually, the earliest remotes were kids, where the father would say, "Change the channel," yes. and the kid had to yeah, run up there and. <laughs> the old or, 1939 or, model. Or we'd have to send somebody up on the roof to adjust <laughs> the antenna. Yes. Oh, I remember that, uh, the, watching the Super Bowl when I was a kid where the Vikings were playing my favorite team. We had awful reception. And so, yes, every few minutes you had to go out and change the, you know, to switch around the antenna to try to get the picture to come in. So uh, and, not and a pleasant memory. Yeah, I hope it wasn't cloudy and, and lightning out there. <laughs> we're talking about how much things cost then versus now. What about travel? What about an airline ticket round trip between Dallas and Jackson? We've got that information for you next. We're glad you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Here's a program reminder. Tuesdays at 10, immediately following our show, listen live to In Legal Terms right here on MPB Think Radio. If you wanted to fly a Delta Airlines round trip between Dallas and Jackson in 1929, the cost was $90, which is about $1,246 in today's money. A trip now sets you back only $327. So another uh, area where uh, technology has increased so much that it's a lot cheaper uh, to fly now than it was then. And everybody is. That's true. Well, yeah, you know, and the other thing, too, you, you, I can remember seeing things of, well, first of all, you know, there was no security. You could smoke on airplanes. People dre- oh, I remember that, yeah. dressed up to go on airplanes. It's, it's really interesting on that how much that has changed, and it's, it's much more affordable uh, now than it was then, that's for sure. Uh, so um, you, Nancy and Ryder, are both registered investment advisors at New Perspectives. So we're going to talk a little bit about stocks and stocks which have seen drastic cha- uh, price increases or changes in price. Nancy, what are some of the ones that, that, that jump out to you? Well, I, I really I'm going to punt to Ryder on Apple because this is his favorite story. So, Ryder, tell your story about Apple. Uh, so, Apple was uh, we were a family that used Apple computers, and I don't remember. I guess it was like '99 when they came out with the the, the colorful iMacs, and we got one. We a neighbor got one, then we got one. I thought they were just the coolest thing, and it was around the time when I was kind of learning what stocks are and that you could find all this information about the companies. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. This company is making neat computers. People are going to buy these things. This has got to be good for the company. And it was it was not a very pricey stock at that time. Even though it was 99, it was it was the tech bubble, but Apple was not as as sucked up in that as everyone else was. Just they just weren't as popular or big at the time. 
And that, of course, they came out with a series of great computers. They came out with the iPhone. I'm sitting here on an Apple laptop with an Apple iPhone next to me. And I even pay them absurd amounts of money for a charger. It's they, they figured out how to get your money, and they're very good at it. Nancy, uh, what other stock uh, seems to jump well, out to you? I'm going to go to one of my favorites, and I'm going to get beat up about this, is Amazon. Um, I knew it! <laughs> yeah, you know, because it is just so easy and it's so convenient. So even though I'm like, you know, gnashing my teeth at Jeff Bezos and all of his antics and, and wondering if I should support my local retailers, which I try to all the time, but uh-huh. there's just so many times when there's a a specific product I'm looking for, and it's going to show up at my door in just a day or two. Um, it is a great deal. And so what started out as just a book company has grown into this huge retailer, and their annualized dollar-weighted return is 31.1%. That's amazing. Um, they now own Whole Foods grocery store chain, um, and um, they they are just in every area right now. And um, so it's, it's hard to get around them. If you're looking for convenience, they know how to do it, and they do it well. Let's uh, end the show with a couple of phone calls. So let's begin in Magnolia. John is on the line. Thanks for calling, John. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Yeah, good morning, sir. I was just y'all, listening to y'all talking about prices then, back then. We we had to work four days to get a battery for the old radio. The only thing we could get was a granule opera. And then we'd, we didn't have heat and we burnt cold. And, and now everything's a ton of coal costs you. Nine hundred dollars at home now, but they don't burn coal no more. But I grew up on the Indian reservation. I born on the dirt floor, raised on beans and potatoes and roadkill, and we worked all day to, to buy a radio and had to set it in front of the fire to get it warmed up to listen to Grand Ole Opry on Saturday evening. So I just want to let y'all know that I know something about them old days too. And now you wow. can't even afford it. You you can't afford nothing now. Everything costs you, and then and at home now, back at Knoxville, an apartment costs you about $1,300 a month for, t- for two rooms. And you can't buy a loaf of bread under uh, $2 and a half, a dozen eggs, three ninety-five a dozen. <laughs> and things have changed. But i just say this, and I'm going to let you all get back to your show. These young people can't make it. They will die because they don't know nothing about making no garden. They don't know nothing about nothing. And when you buy a pair of Bogan shoes and a pair of overalls, it costs you a dollar and a half back then. And you have to wear those shoes all year long. You didn't have no more shoes. So these young people is in trouble. They, they, they ain't going to be able to make it. Because I'm not but 85. So you all thank you very much, and you all have a blessed thank day. Thank you. Yeah, yeah um, that just points out that um, – you know, years ago, you, you did with less, and you were content with that. And so, um, yes, things are costing more, but we are also demanding more and more things. And we have to kind of take a look at, at what the value of those things are. So um, can we get George real quick? George, we've only got about a minute left, but you had a quick uh, thought on travel expenses. Sure. Uh, just sort of laughing, remembering 1970, our honeymoon uh, out of Memphis, five days to the Bahamas air flight, 
round trip hotel, all expenses three hundred dollars. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Bought our first car, twenty five hundred dollars, and thought that was expensive. <laughs> uh, and my very favorite of all, when I was growing up, a movie double feature on a Saturday afternoon, twenty five cents. Ten was for the movie, ten for the popcorn, and five for the coke. <laughs> and you had a great time. All right, great way to end us up there, George. We are out of time for this week. Uh, Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Charles Arnold. For Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us Tuesdays at 9 for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.